Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshayam at Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about this week's Torah portion of Shemot, Killing the Egyptian Taskmaster, Different Perspectives on Moses. I'm going to start with a joke. Okay. It's a very Jewish joke, so let me just kind of... <laughs> I never saw that coming. Long. So President Biden, besides as kind of a pre-election issue, he wants to go and hear what Jews are talking about because he's interested in getting the Jewish vote. So they dress him up and they send him to synagogue on a Shabbat morning. Uh, They would send him to a traditional synagogue. So he's got a hat on and, uh, you know, he's got glasses that don't look like him. So he's disguised a little bit. And he goes to synagogue and they give, they say, well, how will I know what Jews are thinking? He says, just after the service, they have like a, an opportunity to have refreshments. They call it Kiddush. And go up to somebody and just say the word new. New. So what do you mean, new? New, no, just use the word new. That's a kind of a universal word for Jews. And it's, it's like, what's going on? What's happening? What should I know? So he goes to the synagogue, he sits through the service, the rabbi gives a sermon, he thinks the sermon's okay, and then he goes to the Kiddush, and he's having, uh, you know, a little bit of tuna fish and a bagel. He sits down at a table, he sits, looks to the guy next to him, he says, so new? He says, new? He says, you know, the president's coming here today. So uh, I, I, th- I was expecting a little more of a laugh there. Oh, wait, that's the joke. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was just phase one of the jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, you got your laugh, but you got it the wrong way. I got a laugh out of it, yeah. I think that little sound in the background is my heartbreaking. But anyway, uh, so the joke is, since since you didn't get the joke, I will have to explain it to you. The joke is is that... And the Jews are like already know that he's coming because they're, you know, Jews have their, you know, antenna up for all kinds of things. And in a way, the, this week's portion, which is not a joke, kind of tells the same story. It's a story of Moses and the portion begins as the tide of the Jew changes radically. Last week's portion, Vayachi, ends with the Jewish people, the, well, the Jewish people, the, the, the clan of Jacob settling down in a place called Goshen, which Joseph has arranged for them. And they seem like they're living pretty high. They're doing well. If that's the only book of the Torah that we had, then we would, might speculate and say, well, they live good lives and they're, they're doing well. But of course, this is the Torah. And so the next book opens with a new Pharaoh that rises up and their fortunes change immediately. And so this is, of course, the plight that's going to be repeated over and over again in the diaspora. And this new pharaoh come, makes the Jews the focus of the people's fear. This is the first mention of Jews being a fifth column. The pharaoh says to the people or his leaders around him that if there's a war, the Jews might go over to the other side. So this has all of the trappings of modern anti-Semitism. In the midst of this, the Pharaoh comes up with a decree, Moses is put in a basket, and God's hand is at work because Moses is being raised in the house of Pharaoh. And the question is, does Moses know he is an Israelite or does he not know? And that's going to be the whole issue 
uh, behind the story of Moses and the taskmaster because he goes out and we know that the Pharaoh has decreed very hard labor for the uh, Israelite community and they're working and Moses sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating one of his brethren. The Torah is very specific, one of his brethren. He goes amongst his brethren and the taskmaster is beating an Israelite, an Ivri, who happens to be one of his brethren. And Moses looks this way and that way, and he strikes down the Egyptian taskmaster. He kills him and then buries him in the sand, which is all fairly suspicious. And then Moses goes out the next day and he sees two of his Israelite brethren, and they are fighting. And he says, why are you fighting with each other? And one says to him, you know, well, who are you to get involved with all this? And what are you going to kill us too? which is, of course, a tie-in to my joke at the beginning, like the Jewish community has its own kind of language, right? Yeah, and, and I, so I, I maybe didn't see the humor in your joke, but I see the point in it now. And I wonder, are you also suggesting that Moses somehow instinctively knew or had inside information um, that he was Jewish, that he was an Israelite? I mean, and I think the distinction is important. Um, if, if there is one to be made, you know, if we can even surmise um, which one is more likely, that he somehow had this feeling deep in his soul or that he was getting information from someone. What we know is that when Moses is put in the basket and uh, discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, Miriam, his sister, risks her life because anybody would quickly surmise that, any, that a person placing a newborn baby into a basket and then sending it down the Nile for someone else to find is in a desperate position, and the people most desperate would be uh, Jews or Israelites. So we have to assume that the people in the Pharaoh's daughter or her handmaidens would have surmised that. But meanwhile, Miriam goes in. She's clearly an Israelite. She says, if you happen to need a nursemaid for this baby, someone to suckle the baby, to feed it, I can help you with that. And they do. So you know, Miriam clearly has a role there. We don't know how long it lasts, but the story can go either way. Either Moses knows that he is an Israelite, and maybe that's why he looks this way and that way, because he doesn't want to call attention to it and call attention to himself. But at the same time, his moral sense uh, demands that he gets involved. So we just don't know. Yeah, and this is something we all, I think, Jews, in, at least in America and all Jews in the diaspora can relate to. You know, when do you decide to tell someone you're Jewish? Uh, when is it important enough information? When does it feel like you're hiding this out of shame or just hiding it out of convenience, right? We've all been in those situations. Uh, I used to be a reporter traveling in really remote parts of the country where nobody had ever met a Jew. I know I was covering you know, Nebraska and South Dakota. I was on Indian reservations. I was in towns with, you know, that had a population of 30 and having to explain why I didn't eat meat, why I was keep, why I kept kosher or deciding that not to explain it and just to hope they didn't notice or to um, say I was a vegetarian, which in some places that would have been worse than saying I was Jewish in uh, these, in some of these places. They would, they would immediately not trust you. Exactly. <laughs> you know, this is uh, in Nebraska, you don't eat beef. What the hell? Um, but you know, these are, I think, issues to, to a much lesser extent that we've all dealt with in our lives. And in a sense, this is the definition of living in the diaspora. How well are you accepted? How comfortable are you really? This is the dilemma 
that Moses is feeling. We've already seen this happen with Joseph. You know, Joseph has to ask the Pharaoh permission to go to his father's funeral. When Joseph's buried, he's mummified. And so he, he is buried as an Egyptian official. So the balance of how do we manage the diaspora is a really interesting one. And the fact that the Jewish community sort of looks at him askance. They're saying, well, are you going to kill me now? You feel like you killed the Egyptian taskmaster? And what does Moses do? Moses doesn't say, oh, well, I'm going to go talk to the Pharaoh and explain all this. He doesn't do that at all. When Pharaoh hears about it, when Pharaoh learned of the matter, this is how the Torah reads, he sought to kill Moses, right? So as soon as Pharaoh understands that Moses is embracing or engaging his identity, he wants to kill him because he's become the fifth column. So Moses has to flee. So in a sense, Moses was okay until he sided with the people of Israel, but he doesn't just side, he actually acts against an Egyptian. He sees the Israelites as his brothers, and when he commits to that, he also turns against the Egyptian, and he's actually turning against the whole Egyptian way of life, which is slavery for the Israelites, and that makes him a public enemy. And so hence the dilemma of Moses, and our dilemma too. But the fact is, is that Moses becomes our greatest leader because his love of the Jewish people, his loyalty to the people of Israel is such that he never turns his back on his brother. Now, that, I think, is a really interesting, relevant, and somewhat chillingly relevant topic. Yeah, and one of the things that strikes me here is this code of ethics or this morality at the base of all of this. Because in every great story from the Bible to, you know, to Star Wars, you have the, the hero's journey where he has to decide whether to break from his normal world where he's comfortable and take on the challenge of the people that he feels called to fight for. And you can look at that kind of uh, formula in every great story. And it begins here, really, in a way. You know, Moses feels the call of the hero. He has to break from his comfortable, easy life of power and, and decide who he really is. And like any great story, he has to take the risk. Exactly. And the risk has real consequences. That's the power of the story. But I think this is a story for us today. This is, hasn't gone away. You can look throughout Jewish history, uh, the history of the Jews in the diaspora, and the question of whether or not Jews will stand up for other Jews in difficult situations is um, a story that gets told and retold. And how do we manage that? And I think the fact that the state of Israel has become a controversial issue in the world community, in the right and the left, for different reasons, that makes it all the more complicated. How much do I want to embrace my brethren here and deal with the consequences of that, or do I just want to keep my mouth shut and let them deal with it? Yeah, and it's throughout history, and I think it gets more complicated um, as the diaspora goes on longer, as we become more Americanized, as we, in some cases, feel less identity with Israel, with passing generations, that question becomes more difficult and maybe, you know, more important because we have to make a more concerted choice. I think it's a very complicated issue and it really remains with us today. Let's try an example, okay? When you hear the name Jonathan Pollard, what goes through your mind? For Israel was the first thing that came to mind, the first word okay. that came to my head. All right. Jonathan Pollard, traitor, not traitor. Yeah, loyalty was like the question, but I don't know how I feel about it. It's, it's, it's complicated, right? It is complicated. It is complicated. But I can tell you 
that Jonathan Pollard split the Jewish, I'm not even sure, split the Jewish community. I think there was the majority of the Jewish community turned their back on him. Yeah. From Jonathan Pollard's position. And again, let's not mince words here. What he did was against the law. Right. He took a matter into his own hands that he did not have the right to do. But he felt that, like Moses, he was going to save the lives of his uh, brothers and sisters in Israel because he had information, sensitive information, as a naval official that one of Israel's enemies was developing nuclear power and ostensibly for weapons, right? And so Iraq was that country. Saddam Hussein was a sworn enemy of Israel and regularly talked about wiping Israel off the map. And Pollard also knew that there was a treaty. Israel had a signed agreement that if the United States came across such information, they were responsible to share that with Israel, but they chose not to. So Pollard goes about doing that. Now, we can argue and say, well, be that as it may, the Israelis should never have put an American citizen in that position. Israelis should have never paid Jonathan Pollard for that. But again, this is information that is going to be used by Menachem Begin's government to knock out the Iraqi nuclear capability in a kind of a very daring raid. So in Israel, Jonathan Pollard's name is almost universally understood in a positive light. In the American Jewish community, you hear the word Jonathan Pollard and you hear the name Jonathan Pollard and people react uh, almost universally the way that you did. Yeah, I froze because, right, he's a, he, our government decided that he was one of the worst spies in American history, the most damaging uh, spies to American interests. But as you said, he's a hero in Israel. So, and those of us living in between those two worlds have to really do a gut check. And he was also the most heavily penalized spy in American history from that perspective. In other words, the, the sentence that he received, and, the, and this is with Israel trying to free him and send him to Israel, no president would pardon him. Like in other words, he was sort of like a green kryptonite. Like he was really radio, I mean, forgive the term, but he was really radioactive. Right. And so it's a really interesting issue. And the American Jewish community was very reticent to come out strong. I mean, there's certain, certain organizations. That was a topic that would split the American Jewish community down the middle. And the anger against Israel was palpable, right? How dare you put us in this situation? Don't you understand what it means to live in the diaspora. Are we really a fifth column? Now every Jew is going to be seen as being sort of an agent of Israel. How can we be trusted in this country? Where are our loyalties? But then that's the question that Moses was also dealing with in that story, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. It was certainly just as complicated then as it, as it is now. And I think that's one of the things that we have to remind, remember. And so I guess the spy world knows this very well, that when your bottom line is survival, the ethics and the morals get get really messy. I think that's 100% correct. It does get really messy. So we've got a lot to think about this week's portion. And by the way, I wanted to mention to you that at this week's Kiddush, I believe President Biden's coming. So you may want to join us. <laughs> All right. We'll be alert to his disguise. <laughs> <laughs>